This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Still here hoping for a miracle. Also here to cheer on. Leonard makes it official. Now the Warriors just inbound and that's it. There's a new NBA champion and it's a team from Toronto, Canada. We the North are now we the champions. The Raptors, the 2019 NBA champs. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger Heffelfinger. and the Falcon. Dust off your trilby, iron those vests, and throw on your favorite oversized pinstripe suit. The Gentleman and Ladies GT takes Las Vegas at the Wasteland Games weekend. Deus Volt, more like Deus Vomit. Tables and terrain took too much of the attention, but still the stars of the South came out to cast dice at the Carolina Crusade. ETC practice was in full swing as the Swedes secretly sorted out their strategies at the Spellemannen Summer Snore. Kawi, 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 Kawi. I believe it's Kawhi. Welcome to 40K Stat Center, everybody. Um, yeah, and as you heard in the pre tro before the intro, turns out. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. I'm sure at least five or six people in our audience actually knows, A, what that means, and B, cares. Mm, at least six. Uh, my mother listens to this show. Um, so, holy shit, it's been two episodes. We're one away from a streak and feeling pretty cocky. Uh, Falcon, how does it feel to be adored by dozens of 40K tournament watchers? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I often think about it at night as I go to sleep and stare at the mirror above my bed. A vivid and haunting image for us all to savor. Uh, apologies, of course, uh, for the late release this week. I know it's uh, Thursday probably as you're listening to this, but uh, we should start settling into a Wednesday morning drop as the summer continues. We've doodled each other, uh, organized our schedules. That's a schedule organizing app, not Peter looking in a mirror on his ceiling. Uh, so we should be well-coordinated going forward. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I don't see why it can't be both. But regardless, uh, thank you as always to everyone who has taken the time to reach out and provide us your feedback. Uh, please, if you like the show, give a review on the Apple Podcasts app and sub to Signals from the Frontline so that you never miss a show from us, from Tractor Tactics, uh, from Signals from the Frontline, uh, really from anywhere. Uh, it's it's really great. We're going to hopefully at someday get our YouTube videos up so that we can uh, deep dive into those dark, uh, dark webs and see what the real people have to say. But... Yeah, we're uh, we're waiting on Marinera to. Uh, that was awful. I can't do that to her. I can't do that to her. I was gonna make that joke, but I just can't do it. What the Marinera joke? Like she loves it. I can't. Do but it. she doesn't really. It's evil. I mean, for, as far as we know, she hasn't listened to any of this yet. So she won't. And she won't. Uh, but supposedly, we'll post this to YouTube, and that's when we get to find out uh, just how bad we suck. And and really, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, 100%. And uh, to be fair, everyone, in case you're not aware, Marinara, Mariana, is an absolute saint um, and uh, the best uh, color commentator that I've ever had work beside me, other than Mr. Val Heffelfinger. Uh, so, and uh, yeah. goes incredibly with shrimp. Now, Peter, you've made some improvements to 40kstats.com this week. Care to share? Yeah, so this week I, I went ahead and uh, made a few uh, little adjustments. 
I added a blog that doesn't work, so hopefully that'll get fixed by tech support someday in the very near future, so you'll be able to get full updates and have an RSS feed for when I do update the site. Um, and secondly, and more importantly, I've added um, a number of uh, new filters, so now you're going to be able to uh, check out stats based off of significant Warhammer like uh, rule changes. So example, Spring Fact now is a filter that's available. You can tap that and see everything that's happened post-FAQ versus pre-FAQ. Um, I've also added filters to T-Whip and T -whip. Uh, average round loss. So uh, right, so now it's just a, a date filter, but I will be in the next day or two adding uh, filters for uh, like the FAQ and for uh, specific tournaments. So you can see how different factions perform across the board now, uh, event to event. And lastly, uh, something that a lot of people have been asking me for, uh, so I put it in even though I don't care as much. I do have a little bit of interest, but that's just because it's another number. Um, I've added um, the ability to track mono faction versus soup uh, for all of the I'm sorry, what was that? What was that second slur you uttered there? Oh, I apologize, Val. Uh, for uh, mono faction versus multi-faction Multi-faction. Uh, faction Excellent. You see, I don't. I guess our listeners probably don't know about the uh, 40k Stats Center style guide. Here at the show, we think that um, the term "soup" is a pejorative. You know, we're here to play games, here, folks. We're not. We're not going to engage in scrub talk. We're not going to call things cheesy, and we sure shit ain't saying something soupy. So it's multi-faction, mono-faction, more than one faction, however you want to call it. Just don't judge people because they bring the best choices to their list. You know what I'm saying? A1. I'm behind you 100%. Mm -hmm. And shockingly, I didn't realize this, but uh, I come from a place where A1 means really good, and no one else knows what that means. And it always bothers me when I say it and people are confused. But that's just uh, some kind of weird uh, geographic uh, lingual thing going on. Let's move on to the actual topics. Yeah, the actual topics are uh, probably a decent one to, to get on to, but uh, I will beat this horse slightly more to death. If if you want some more in-depth coverage on all the post-fact meta-analysis, make sure to double back and listen to this week's chapter, Tactics. Falcon patiently leads Pablo and Sean on a magical journey of statistics and analysis while doing his best to anger every Dark Angel player that has ever lived. Now, as Peter mentioned, we do actually have quite a fairly tight show today, only a couple of events to cover. So why don't we get on with it? First event on the docket, Gentlemen and Ladies GT. 67-player event. It's in its third year. Formerly the Gentlemen's GT, it has matured to become more inclusive, if not grammatically ham-fisted, the Gentlemen and Ladies GT in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes, the second significant 48K event in Sin City, except during a time of year where being outside means you'll die faster than your soul can escape the horrors that surround you. Hosted at the lovely off-strip Gold Coast Hotel and Casino, known for its $9.99 breakfast buffet featuring a, quote, impressive spread of savory and sweet breakfast foods and unlimited juice, coffee, and soft drinks. Emphasis mine. The GNLGT also sells itself short, reaching a total of 67 players. It is a major by any definition, specifically the ITC definition. Perhaps it's time to drop the awkward phrasing and encourage this event to call itself by its true nature. I'm dubbing it the Milady Major. Players from throughout SoCal, and I'm sure other places, uh, made the track to participate, including uh, Jeff Not Matt Damon Robinson. Reese, the Ring Wraith Robbins. Frankie, call me GM Papa. Ray, Awuga, are you matter? And James, somehow still allowed in Nevada, Carmona. And local flavor, Josh Allcaps Jenny, and Ben actually lives in Vegas Jerk. Pretty unusual. Now, 
it should be said that coming into this tournament, there was one clear favorite. Declared by himself loudly and proudly on multiple podcasts, Reese Richard Robbins. It was openly declared that no man could stop him, but he failed to anticipate the salty wiles of famed Las Vegas mistress, the Margarita. Regardless, he was able to execute a flawless drop from the tournament, going a perfect zero and zero after seizing the initiative for Raylo Carrera, then skipping his own shooting phase, nearly falling asleep at the table and becoming distracted by a Golden Girls-themed slot machine. It wasn't all tragic hubris, though. Many top players came to play, and what better place to start than Vegas' own Ben Jurek. Ranked second in the Orcs faction, Ben has been steadfastly running a rather unusual Orc build and doing exceptionally well. He was, in fact, the frontrunner going into day two. So, yeah, let's quickly go over Ben Jurek's list. Um, one thing to note, Ben is solidly behind the Freebooters. So, first off, he has this uh, Freebooters Battalion using the Dreadwog Specialist Detachment with a big mech with custom force field, a big mech with a dasuped-up Shaka, and a war boss with Power Claw and Shooter. He has uh, 27, 28 Orc Boys. Uh, with uh, Shooters, and then 10 Gretchen, another 10 Gretchen. His heavy support slot includes two Gorkonauts and six mech guns, specifically four Smasher guns and two tractor cannons. He then has a second Freebooters Battalion with two Weird Boys and another 30 Gretchen, and he tops it all off with a Freebooters Air Wing with two Daka Jets and a Waz Bomb Blaster Jet. And that list managed a 5-1 showing, often in crushing fashion, with four scores above 30 and a 40-point game in round two. You know, I've actually spoken with Ben a lot about uh, this list in, in various group chats around the internets. Go ahead. Who really hasn't, though? Uh, you know, he gets around. He gets around. I mean, let's remind everyone at home, Benjer has an orc tattoo on his calf. This guy is serious about orcs, and he's serious about this list. So, um, I mean, I've, talked, I've thrown a little shade about it. But, I mean, the results uh, don't lie here. Why don't we listen to Ben talking about this list build? So the core concept of my list is based on the little-known orc clan known as Freebooters. Uh, the Freebooter trait is when a unit kills another an enemy unit in any phase, uh, all units within 24 inches of that unit get plus one to hit. This is both in shooting and in fight phase. So I choose to abuse that in the fight phase with units that already have modifiers like Doc Jets hitting on fours, now hit on threes, which proc for other units that are ridiculous like the Gorgonaut hitting on fours. Um, so you typically set up something like Met Guns or Shooter Boys or Doc Jets to kill something in turn one, like a small chaff unit, and then the rest of the army kind of builds off of that. Now, I know Ben w was suffering from a little bit of road noise there, but I hope you, uh, you all kind of caught a little understanding about how the, the core list mechanic works. It still, to me, seems bullshit. Uh, so uh, I asked him a follow-up question, and uh, here he goes uh, patiently explaining in some more detail um, why that's actually scary. I do run into a lot of people who have zero expectations of this list and don't know what to expect and are suddenly getting tabled or don't position correctly against it or don't expect a the pilot to be competent um i do run into that sometimes uh the it's a snowflake list uh, i'll be honest um and i absolutely love it uh the mvps it really depends on the matchup um more dacking a gorgonaut definitely picks up plague bears all day where the shock, where sometimes you need to lead on the lean on the shock tech gun shooting twice to pick up armored units because that neg five AP D six damage plus one to wound. Um, so 
it's kind of pick or choose, but I guess the biggest highlight that people stare at when they see my list are the two big old Gorkonauts that kind of work as linebackers. So are you sold? Do you believe in the Free Buddha's Orc list? Have you seen this out in the you know wider meta you know attempted to be used aside from this insane person? Uh, yes, uh, Ben's not the only one that's tried Free Buddha's, although I will say that he's... Uh the most successful uh, a lot of the uh, lists i see that try to go pure free buddhas are either copying ben's list or at least his version from scorched earth which i believe was maybe slightly uh, slightly different um or they go in their own very fluffy way um and, and really really underperform um I've seen I've watched Ben play this list in person at BAO. Um you can see why it's a a, a solid list. Um yeah, I mean I'm not 100% sold, but the results speak for themselves, right? I mean the, he's definitely a competent player and uh having chatted with him over a, a decent supper about orcs, uh, he he's got a lot of theories. Um Yeah, I think originally as the book came out a lot of people assumed that, you know, the the being needing to proc something by killing a unit just seemed like why add a condition to sometimes unreliable orc things and uh, clearly i mean he's had a lot of success correct me if i'm wrong i do believe he won an event with it yes he did win the scorched earth open uh, a couple of months back yeah, so the full-blown gt so this is uh, not an accident and uh, he does it against uh, some excellent competition however this was not to be his weekend he did take um, he did take a, a an L to uh, another player that we'll, we're going to be going a little bit deeper on, uh, Dan Olivas. Uh, but first, he's just going to talk a little bit about the event and uh, then talk about that loss to Dan. As far as the event overall, I love the event. It was great. It's hosted by War Room Games and Hammerhead Games. War Room Games happens to sponsor my team, so I'm a little bit biased. I do love those guys. Uh, Ray Prado, Tony Myers, those are the two guys that definitely uh, make all this happen. Um, and through their employees and through delegation, we had a really great major. Um, I placed really well. My only loss being to number one Eldari, Dan Olivas. Uh, he creamed me on stream, so I'm not going to care to post that link. But it was a case of I did uh, 4d6 damage with rerolls to uh, a Wave Serpent and did a total of threes. Yeah, um, so an unfortunate draw against Dan. Dan was running, um, you know, another list that I think maybe at first blush uh, doesn't pop off the page as, uh, you know, what you might think of when you think of Scary Eldar. I mean, we're definitely going to see a Scary Eldar list later on in the show. Uh, but why don't we run through um, Dan's list here. Another 5-1 uh, effort here from Dan. He actually gets to uh, the uh, second-to-last table uh, before severing his first loss against uh, the fitting and out-of-control Jeff Robinson. Um, so uh, why don't we hit that uh, Eldari list? Daniel Olivas, he brought an ally talk battalion with a Farseer Skyrunner, a Warlock Skyrunner, two minimum units of Rangers, and a 10-man squad of Storm Guardians with chain swords. He then had three minimum three-man uh, Dark Reaper units, all with uh, Tempest Launchers, two Wave Serpents, two Archons uh, in a uh, mixed Drukhari detachment, three minimum units of Cabalite Warriors, and three Venoms, and he topped it off with an Inari Supreme Command Detachment with an Otark Skyrunner with the Index Banshee Mask, a Fusion Gun, and a Farseer, as well as the Incarn. Yeah, now I am uh, famously bad at Warhammer, but uh, this list, does this list terrify you? Like, reading that, if you were to, wouldn't you be a bit relieved when you saw your drawing Eldar and, like, that was what was presented against you? So, yes and no. Um... 
because I know uh, the quality of player that Daniel Olivas is, just seeing his name would often uh, make me, you know, the beads of sweat start to get on my face. And uh, I am absolutely terrified with most of the lists that I make about Tempest launchers. So the fact that he's got three, regardless of if they can double shoot or not, um, that will always get my heart pounding. And then it's just a matter of his like Otark Skyrunner trickery, um, which I'm sure he, he'll discuss uh, in some of his clips. Over to Dan. The key concept to my list is a couple of things. Um, multiple threat vectors from multiple directions, uh, pre-game flexibility, and, an, and it's a list that takes and holds the initiative. Um, for most of the game, uh, usually starting in turn two or three, um, I allow my opponent's initiative to start. It doesn't have a linchpin in it. A lot of people think the Incarn is the linchpin, and he is as far as the scariest single model in my army but he's actually not uh, essential to my plans ever, or not ever, but rarely. And so you can trade with him if you have to. So if I have to make a favorable trade with him, it's certainly available. Um, the multiple threat vectors allow me to keep initiative and to keep my opponent reacting to my decisions or to force my opponent to make decisions that I can then capitalize on. You know, um, Peter, you, you mentioned that the thing that you would be scared of is Dan. And I noted that Dan used a term like multiple threat vectors, and I too am now afraid of Dan. <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, allow him to continue now on whether or not this list is in fact scary. So in answer to whether or not my list looks scary, I think the main thing people um, forget about Eldar lists is it's not just flyers and it has a lot of versatility. Um, I try to build lists first and foremost that use models I love, and so that's sort of where my list building stuff starts. And then I try to use um, something that isn't uh, popular or isn't as popular. So the the threat level for my list exists in a whole bunch of subtle ways, but it helps me keep the initiative in the game and helps me to give my option, my, keep my options open, which allows me to try to outplay my opponent. Um, so from a scary point of view, if you play me a couple of times, what you'll learn is that I don't have one plan. I have a whole bunch of plans that sort of dictate um, your responses. And if you don't play me very often, you'll find that you assume my plan is one thing and then I do something very different. So that's where the scare factor comes in from that list. Right. So I think conclusively, the scare factor of Dan's list is not the list itself, but Dan. And uh, what better counter... Uh, running into Jeff Robinson, uh, a man who takes no shit. Uh, would you agree, Paul? Oh, absolutely. If uh, you want to play KG with somebody, um, Jeff Robinson's probably not the one uh, to try to pull shenanigans on. Um, not just because um, he doesn't take shit lightly, but also because he's very frequently asks the right questions at the right time. Uh, so it it uh, it takes a, a good amount to surprise him. Uh, so Dan did succumb to Jeff Robinson in the fifth round. So I mean, Dan, kudos. Uh, made it very far in this tournament. Uh, Jeff, uh, now entering the story, uh, obviously goes 5-0. and He makes it to a top table, and as advertised on Chapter Tactics about a week back, was running a list build that has been absolutely terrorizing on the East Coast, uh, piloted by uh, one Austin Wingfield. Uh, why don't we just read the list? There's, uh, it's not particularly long, so why don't we read the list and uh, we can uh, have Dan discuss how that game with, went for him versus Jeff. Sure. So Jeff Robinson's list, I've talked about it a few times in the last few weeks, um, is a mixed demons battalion with the contorted epitome, a Poxbringer, 
two units of 27 plague bearers and a unit of three nurglings. He then has a mixed heretic Astartes Supreme Command Detachment with Ariman, a Master of Executions, and a Crimson Slaughter Sorcerer, along with Mortarian. And then he has a Flawless Host Supreme Command Detachment with the Soul Forged um, Vigilus uh, Specialist Detachment with three Lord Discordants. So uh, let's go over to Dan again, and uh, like I said, he's just going to discuss how that game went against Jeff. My round five game against Jeff Robinson was amazing. Him and I have played three times now. He kicked the crap out of me the first time, and I've had two one-point losses, losses to him. So I am 0-3, oh which is very frustrating for me. Um, the key turning point from my side is I set a trap. I believe it was turn three that I didn't need to set. It had very low payoff and lo very low risk, but it was essentially a neutral play that I didn't need to make. Um, had I kept playing my game, I think there that, that would have tightened that game up to a tie or possibly a win for me. Um, he didn't make any mistakes that I could capitalize on. He made one very small mistake, and I was half an inch away from capitalizing on it. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how those games go sometimes when you play a guy like Jeff. He's not going to give you a whole lot of openings. So that was the only real key turning point was me setting a trap that, that didn't work out and uh, cost me the game. Thanks a lot, Dan, for your insights. Those were some excellent comments. And, of course, he bounced back in the final round, uh, wound up 5-1 uh, and one in the tournament. On the other side of the bracket, the final remaining hope for Frontline Gaming was trudging his way to a similar 4-0 record. The original greatest Warhammer player of all time, Frankie GM Papa, and his Gene Stealer cult came to face off versus the Warboss himself, Richard Kelton. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's pause things here and maybe have a, a quick look at, at what Frankie was running with his Gene Stealer cult. Okay, well, this list is absolutely bonkers. It's a list I've seen once before, but maybe a little more all-in even than uh, that person had played. It's a uh, Rusted Claw Battalion with an Acolyte Icon Ward, a Patriarch, three units of ten Brew Brothers, a Keller Morph, and then three maximum squads of Atalan Jackals uh, with full uh, three uh, wolf quads each, all of them with shotguns, uh, some with grenade launchers, no demolition charges, which is often something you'll see with the uh, the Atalan Jackals. Uh, Frankie took not a one. Um, and then he had a second Rusted Claw Battalion, this with uh, a Jackal Alphys, a Magus, three units of ten Brood Brothers, and a Gene Stiller Cult's Four Armed Emperor Battalion with an Accolade Icon Ward, a Primus, one, two, three, four squads of Accolade Hybrids, all with uh, four Rock Saws, and a Clamavus. Good Lord Almighty. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have noted that in the previous segment, I wasn't able to get Jeff for today's show. This was all on my, my bad. I just didn't message him in time. He was very willing to do things, but he's a busy man, as you all are very aware. So, I was desperate for some killer content, and I decided to bother Frankie at work. He might be too hot for signals, but he's spicy enough for Stat Center. So let's see what Frankie had to say. This is going to be a little departure here, Peter. I hope you can uh, get a glass of water, maybe sit back. Uh, There's going to be a little side interview here with the famous Frankie Giampapa. Come on, gaming this, Frankie. Hi, Frankie. How are you today? Doing well. Uh, we've seen a couple different uh, Gene Stealer Cult archetypes on the show already. Uh, what do you think makes your list a little different from other things that we might be seeing around the meta? Um, yeah, so I'm running uh, 45 of the the uh, Jackals, um, basically using them to take up board control um, and uh, throw a couple mining lasers in there, maybe pluck off some wounds of 
wyverns and pesky vehicles in the backfield. But uh, mainly I use them to uh, soak up the fire for the rest of my army, keeps my characters safe. And uh, I've been having a lot of success with that uh, with those units. Um, they're hard to kill, and uh, they are able to uh, get objectives and stay on the board, which Gene Steeler Colt uh, really struggle with um, from what I've been finding. And then I run uh, little 10-man units of Acolyte hybrids, a little bit different than what you're seeing in the meta right now. Uh, a lot of people are running the hand flamer units. I'm just running the uh, four rock saws in the unit. Um, and I, I find that they have enough punch to pretty much take out whatever you need. And uh, they're not too expensive um, going into those units. So I'm able to run four of those, which uh, give me some flexibility in deep striking in different turns. So a little bit different than what you're seeing. People are running the big 20-man unit of Acolytes. They're running the demo charges on the Jackals. Um, Mine's kind of like a hybrid of those kind of lists. Nick Nanavati is also he switched from Orcs over to Gene Steeler Cole. So he's running the what Pablo called the Muscle Beach. So lots <laughs> of the the big guys. He said he's he's having trouble optimizing his list because every every choice he makes is winning. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the power of Gene Steeler Cole? Yeah, definitely. It's hard to find a stinker unit in that codex. Um, they're all really good. They all do their jobs very well. Um, I find the, the hardest thing with Gene Steeler Colt is uh, resilience and uh, deciding when to bring them on the table. Um, if you bring them on too early, uh, you sacrifice that unit. You're, they die very easily once people start shooting them. Um, but, yeah, I definitely agree with Nick. It's, it's really hard um, because you pick a unit and it just does amazing. And then you don't want to take it out of the list because it does so well. But there's plenty of other units that um, you'd rather have in the list. So, um, definitely, I, I agree with Nick 100%. Um, I really like the Aberrant units, too. I just uh, uh, wanted to take something a little bit different. I've been seeing a lot of people are running, like, two to three Aberrant units, which are pretty nasty. If you had to pick one of your many uh, multi-armed children, what would you say was your, your MVP unit, one that you wouldn't think about taking out of your list? I would definitely say the, uh, the Kelomorphs. Kelomorph is really strong, especially if you're able to uh, screen them out with, like, Jackals or um, Brood Brothers. Um, once it comes to, like, turn four or five, he's able to snipe out really important either vehicles or characters or um, units that have been pesky throughout the game. So I found late game Kelomorphs were MVPs. And final question. You gave Rich Kilton, the eventual winner, what looked to be his first real test of the whole weekend. He was kind of just rolling <laughs> up until he ran into you. Share a highlight or the turning point from that game from your perspective? Yeah, Rich had a big turn. Uh, one is Luda's uh, rolled a one for their shots. He decided to keep it, and uh, those 15 shots ended up hitting like 25 times. So I <laughs> had a pretty good uh, shooting phase there. I was able to wipe out quite a few of my jackals. And then uh, on that same turn, he was able to tri-point a bike. And I, I didn't even uh, view the tri-point as possible. So I didn't pull my casualties correctly. So unfortunately, they were fearless because of the um, Patriarch. And then he was able to tri-point a bike and... That was uh, all she wrote there. I wasn't able to shoot him with all my brood brothers and Kellermorphs and stuff that I had in the backfield. So um, I had to go into combat earlier than I wanted to, which meant uh, my acolytes were left uh, out in the open to get shot. So um, he played a very smart game. He did his double swings so that he could do those uh, try points, and uh, he was rolling spectacular. And Rich is an awesome guy, great opponent, so I'm really happy for him that he was able to pull out that win. 
Yeah, I mean, you did really well if, if you're saying it was a first turn thing that really swung it because you, you kept that thing close. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. Uh, yeah, it came down to the clock. Uh, Rich uh, ended up running out of time on turn three, I think, or four. But it, it was towards the end of the game, wow. so I was able to rack up some more points and make it close. The clock is the Orcodex is probably hardest <laughs> Definitely. And Gene Slayer Colt, uh, funny enough, um, I've – I consider myself a pretty fast player, but uh, this tournament, I was taking it up to that three-hour mark almost every game. So, Frankie, anything you want to add before I let you go back to your day? Oh, no, that's it. Thank you very much for having me on the show, and uh, appreciate it. You want to you talk some shit about Reese? Uh, no, that's too easy. That's like a low-hanging fruit there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thanks for having me on the show, man. Appreciate it. An absolute pleasure to have Frankie on the show. Uh, what did you think about his recap there, uh, Peter? Are you awake? Uh, I am definitely awake. I almost lost my voice. I was so excited listening to him talk about his games and his list. I, I still think that's the second best fake last name on the internet right now. Oh, for sure. Right after Colosimo. Uh, now that brings us to the list and player. We've all certainly wanted to hear about the great war boss himself, OG 40K YouTube personality, a man that literally carries the mail and delivers the pain. Richard Kilton. Now, I've been making you read all of the lists. Yes. Did you want one off? Well, you've been doing a lot of talking. I just listened to you somehow uh, talk to Frankie G and Papa as if it were live. It feels like it was happening while we were on this, uh, this uh, interactive Skype call. And um, I think I can do it. Unless you really want to, because I know Rich is a, a close personal friend of yours. He's a friend of the podcast. He is absolutely one of the greatest players I've ever had the pleasure of playing against myself, and there are, and that's a that's a high bar I'm setting. Um, so I don't mind I don't mind passing it to you. I fully encourage you to do uh, Rich's list a lot of justice here. Excellent. I'll do my best. Richard Kilton. He showed up to the Gentleman's GT with an Evil Sons Battalion detachment. It had a war boss and mega arner, arner, armor, a warlord. Uh, he also had a weird boy. He had two units of 30 boys with sluggas and choppas, and then a unit of 10 boys with sluggas and choppas, and finally, a unit of 25 boys with shooters. He had a knob with a wog banner. A truck, which is out of the ordinary for most of the most competitive lists, but knowing Rich Kilton, it's just how he likes to play. He then had a Death Skulls Battalion Detachment Dreadwog Specialist with the souped-up shock attack gun for, the, for his big mech, a warboss on warbike, 30 Gretchen, Mad Doc Grotznik, and then a Bad Moon Detachment with a Runt Herd, a big mech with a custom force field, a Weird Void, 38 Gretchen, and 15 lutas. I mean, that is a lot of really solid, awesome pieces. Would you not agree? Yes, it's a lot of all of the good things that orcs like to bring to an event. Except I the mean, truck, but I mean, there's definite uh, definite use for a truck. You gotta you gotta snowflake a little bit. Now, I mean, he'd be able to you know hide his mega armor war boss in there, a weird boy, the wall banner, keeps him moving around. I mean, there's there's lots of benefits. Yeah, if I know Rich Kilton, it's uh, it's mostly to to modify the amount of drops he has in his list, hmm. depending on who he's playing against. So we're basically gonna give the give the floor to him to tell us about his list and uh, his experience at the 2019 Milady Major. Uh, so why don't I just uh, kick this on over to Rich. He's going to go into his list and how it's evolved a little bit since the Codex release. Play that clip. So, Val, my list has has not changed as far as the, the purpose of my list. My list is a fighting list. 
but some of the units that I've added have changed significantly. I found that when I put Ludas into my list, it forces the opponent to engage. And that's one of the real assets that I have found with the Ludas is you can't just kind of sit back and try and just shoot me off the table um, because the Ludas can do that too. And, and they also take out some of those key units that cause orcs uh, trouble in particular. I'm going to tell you a little more in the, the next section about uh, why I, I make some of the other choices I make. But that's, that's what the Ludas and the shock attack gun do is they make it so that people have to engage. Now, if, if if Rich had his druthers, I'm pretty sure he would run nothing but boys, um, and that's about it. And really, the innovations to his list have been adding the shock attack gun and the Ludas. I mean, I know those are things that, certainly the Ludas anyway, are becoming a, a thing that might be leaving a lot of orc lists. For Rich, this is a uh, bold new innovation. Yeah, I mean, he's always about, it feels like he's always one step ahead, but on the list side, he's one step behind, and it always... Always surprises me with how well he does. It's almost as if knowing your list and playing it really well uh, makes a difference in 40K. Uh, he's uh, he's just going to actually talk about... Because a lot of times, I think we saw a couple of weeks ago when Orcs had success, Ludas were dropped from a lot of lists. And, <clears throat> and immediately the thought is, well, I guess that means you don't have to invest all those command points. You can invest them more in the boys. So here he's going to talk about how he actually makes those choices between the two. Managing command points in eight is it's a huge issue and a really important skill. So as I've practiced and things, you, you have to think about what you're going to need to do. If you really feel like you're going to need to recycle one of your units, you better keep five points. And that really paid in, in the last game against, against Jeff is there were a couple of times where I could have shot my Ludas or the shock attack gun with more DACA or shot twice, and I chose not to because I knew I might need those command points, and I sure did there at the end when I kind of overcommitted with the boys, and one boy survived, uh, which was very fortunate. That is one of my superpowers. I am lucky um, that, uh, that yeah, that, uh, that one boy surviving meant I got a 223-point unit back on the table. Um, so uh, I, I may have alluded to Rich Kilton absolutely stomping people all the way until he met Frankie. Uh, Rich is a genuine, nice human being. He uh, he disagrees a little bit, so uh, here's him talking about his march to the top. I don't know that I would agree with you that my, my road was smooth sailing. Alan Hernandez is a good player. He's probably one of the only guys in the competitive scene that's older than me. But we had a nice... Uh, old man sit down and, and played our game and, and his list was actually hampered because he, um, he didn't bring his Zangors. Um, he, he forgot them on his painting table. So he had to, he had to make a change there. And then I played a really great night list that he just made one, uh, deployment error that cost him. And then Richard Cozart is a fabulous player. It's just, he didn't realize that my superpower being luck that I was just going to win the role, even though he had the plus one and I got to go first and charged him with 95 boys and my boss on turn one. There's not much in the game that can withstand that. So, um, but I had, I had some really good opponents going, going through. Now you might recall that magical live interview we had with Frankie G and Papa just a few moments ago. Well, Richmond has a slightly different take on how that game went. 
and here he is uh, describing it. Turns out there was more than just one turn, Frankie. Round five against Frankie. I tell you, that if in the last two rounds, Frankie and then Jeff, Frankie's list actually, I feel, was scarier for my list. Um, but both guys are just these fabulous players who I've watched them play, and they just don't make many mistakes. And uh, I did not realize how brutally tough those bikers could be. And Frankie's plan was pretty brilliant, and he came in, and his countercharge was devastating. Um, I made a mistake that I didn't to jump the Ludas, but I think the, the turning point was when I was able to bring, re, again, recycle 30 boys, bring them in behind him, and then the Orcs can just take the punch a little bit better than the Gene Steeler cult. And really, it was just attrition, and my boys, having 30 more boys, made him, made him laugh. See, he wasn't even sweating a little bit there. I, I didn't sense any urgency, no scrambling against the clock, no late-game comeback for Frankie. I mean, the war boss tells it how it is. You know, Jeff will unfortunately not be able to rebut any of these points, but I'm sure Rich is going to give a nice, rich tableau of what was going on going on, on the top table at the uh, Gentlemen and Ladies GT. He's got a couple clips here, and he's going to talk us through the game against Jeff. This, of course, comes down to a one-point margin of victory for the great war boss himself, Rich Gilton. So I feel in the game against Jeff, I, I knew that his list was, was really strong, but that if I could block his movement with some of my chaff units, um, it's just that the plague bears just don't put out a lot of wounds. They just tie you up. And, and they, he was able to control the board early and was scoring. He got a significant lead. But um, early I was able to kill Mortarian and one um, of the spider, the, the, what are they called, the Lord's Discordant on turn one, thanks to the shock attack gun going strength 12, which it might have done it one other time in the tournament, but that was the big one. Um, but uh, once I got those two, the two Lord's Discordant were still terrifying. And so I just kind of had to play a waiting game until I could whittle them down enough to make my push. So then once they were down, I think I pushed probably a little too hard and too aggressive. I was going for, when I swung around in behind him, I advanced a really long advance and made a charge, which, because I'm lucky, um, I, I was able to hit his uh, epitome, um, and that was one of my, that was my Kingslayer, which was a bad choice in my secondary. But uh, I had to try and score some points, so I got five wounds on it. Um, and then, then Jeff, if he had, maybe if he had run that away, uh, I might not have been able to catch him. But he, I think he felt like he needed the extra combat against the recycled unit of boys. And together, the two of them did not do very well. And then my boys picking both of them up in the same turn really was what gave me the center of the board. And then once I had the center of the board in, in the last couple of turns, I had some big scores. And then I had ground control because I felt like over time uh, my bosses were a good counter to his spider, to his uh, Lord's Discordant, um, and so was my shooting. So that over time I eventually would get board control. I just had to be patient. And I was just one point patient enough um, against a great opponent like Jeff. I made a few mistakes, but lucky, lucky for me, he made a very, he made a few very small mistakes as well, and uh, 
but but against an opponent of that caliber, um, you, you, it comes down to, to some lucky dice, and uh, and and then also some some opportunities taken and some opportunities given. And there's Rich uh, talking through his last game against Jeff Robinson. That game was actually um, streamed on Facebook Live. Book. If you were to just look for Gentlemen and Ladies GT on Facebook, you should be able to link your way around until you actually find the feed. We'll do our best to actually throw that in the show notes uh, or actually on the link to the show on the Frontline Gaming webpage. Um, we're almost through all of our Rich Kilton content. I just want to give him a chance because he has some really nice words to say about uh, his top two opponents, uh, Frankie and Jeff. I also have to say one thing about uh, especially Jeff and Frankie. You know, some people could try to play, because my list can struggle with the clock, some people could try to play to that advantage and, you know, um, make me try and clock out and, and make me do all the dice rolls, but both of those opponents were gentlemen in that they helped me, like, instead of making me come all the way around the table, they, uh, they like, helped me move units, they, uh, they trade up some of my my guys when I was going to recycle a unit on their turn. So, I mean, both were just amazing, high-caliber human beings besides being fabulous opponents. And I had so much fun playing both of them. And would uh, anybody who questioned the, the greatness of those players as people besides as players, uh, they're wrong. He's such a, such a great guy. Like, this is – my God. Like, I love uh, – this is why I love Warhammer. I've say, I say this like, you know, once a month. I get into a point where something happens and I just say it. And this is one of those times. Just people like Rich, like what he's saying with Jeff and Frankie. And when you see it live, like these guys are just like just pillars of the community. It's just friggin' great. I love it. Actual quality human beings, as Rich said. And we're going to give one last final farewell here. We're going to round up the gentlemen and ladies, parenthesis, GT, uh, now a 40K major, perhaps called the Milady major in the future. Um, we're going to give it to Rich here because this is the Warboss's first major win, from my understanding. And uh, so I'll let him uh, take it out before we move on to the Carolinas. I have to say just, just how excited. There was a great tournament run by some fabulous guys um, on Father's Day. I missed my son, who hopefully he'll be back for that tournament. will be his first tournament. Uh, tournament back with me next year because like i said i'm an old guy i get to play with my kids at tournaments which is great so um but i've been playing since since early second edition so i love that sometimes some of my models are older than the, the guys i'm playing against um but is this was my first major win in eighth edition and uh i couldn't be happier it was it was so fabulous an experience um i felt really great about the play. I love where the meta is right now. It seems like so many different lists have a chance. And I was glad to see like Aurelio and Reese had to play round one because that Imperial Guard matchup I don't like. I don't like Tau. So I dodged some of my tough matchups. All right. So I guess we'll swing it on over now to the Carolina Crusade. So coming to us from the home of racing's finest, Concord, North Carolina, home of Charlotte Motor Speedway, we have the Carolina Crusade. Hosted by Tony Pierce and Brandon Rogers, this was an ITC event with a whopping 61 attendees, making it the second largest of the weekend and a full-on major. But uh, why should I do the intro when Tony can do it for us? 
I am Tony Pierce and I ran the Carolina Crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. This event is the product of a pipe dream of a couple of locals who want to try their hand at running tournaments. This is the first year of an event of this size and it was held at a local Embassy Suites hotel. If the ITC tracked ELO, this event would be stacked. We have three of the top 10 in attendance, Richard Siegler, John Lennon, and Daniel Hesters, as well as several heavy hitters from the Southern region. Chris Blackham, Stephen Four, Austin Wingfield, and Thomas Bird. We also have lots of players who are more famous in the South that you probably may not have heard of, such as Jeremy Jackson, Alexis Putt, Brenton Weiss, and Phil Corman. We had many of the general staff in attendance, as well as large contingents from Brohammer and Team Battle Brothers. It's a very tough meta down here, and anyone wanting a shot at the top spot is going to have a very tough field to get through. So as Tony was saying, this was the first year for the event, and uh, to provide further, further contest on what went down, we're joined by a breathless internet commenter, Jimmy the Armchair. Hey, wasn't this the event with the hot garbage terrain? Yeah, but I mean, like... It... That stuff looked like a bird crapped on three pieces of wood, and they called it a Nova L. <laughs> Listen, buddy, like, I'm... I'm looking at it now, and that's exactly what it was. Okay. Hey, but this strand looks like it was made by a space wolf player drunk on grain alcohol and blinded by it. Okay, well, you're, are you almost done? Like, we got. I mean, this looks like they huffed the paint before applying it. My aunt Karen could make better stuff, and one of her eyes doesn't follow the other. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're right, but I mean, like, who takes a look at the London GT last year and says, "Well, hold my beer, I got okay. this." Low blow, man. How about we move on to the event coverage there? Okay. Um, what did the TO have to say about what went down? <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, full disclosure, folks. Uh, Tony Pierce, the TO and event organizer, he is a friend and contributor to the podcast. Uh, he's been a big help to me in the past with stats um, and, and just like a gentleman overall. Uh, he's got real broad shoulders, and he took the issues in stride. Uh, during and after the event, he did uh, make announcements, uh, one on Comp40K, the Facebook page, to um, take full responsibility for the issue. Uh, this kind of blew up on the internet. Uh, there was a lot of pictures showing uh, just kind of the lackluster uh, terrain. There were all of the tables were essentially exactly the same. They were these kind of plywood L's uh, that had been spray painted white with uh, four or five other small uh, line of sight blocking pieces in the corners. Um, it didn't look super sweet. I mean, players on a lot of the, the forums and places where people were posting about the terrain, which granted did not look so good. Uh, there were no mats on the tables. It wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing event. But I think the players uh, were genuinely supportive of the, the people who did organize it and uh, fought back against a lot of the uh, armchair trolls on the Internet um, because they were pretty grateful to have an event uh, in the Carolinas uh, that they could go to. And uh, this is not an area that is usually serviced by a lot of GTs, and I think they're all hoping that you know, they can uh, pick it up and learn from from uh, from the event and keep it making it better. And, uh, you yeah, know, definitely got some room to improve. And I'm sure Tony will. And I think he handled this up front and uh, the best way possible. And I was really especially happy to see that the uh, the players appreciated, um, you know, the way the uh, organizers handled it, despite it not being the best outcome uh, and went on and had a really good time at the event. But, you know, outside of all this, uh, there was a legitimate competitive event that took place. Uh, like like Tony said, we can't forget that the majority of the South's best players were in attendance. Uh, like he mentioned, John Lennon, Richard Siegler, Richard Martin, most of the Brohammer team, which has been doing exceedingly well this year. Uh, Chris Blackham, General Staff, Austin Wingfield, Stephen Four, Juice. Um, it was 
like like he said, a ridiculously stacked event. Um, when I was going through the list of player names, uh, I recognized probably 90% of them um, as being, you know, uh, top tier players. So this was, there was no shortage of strategy here. Um, the event ended with Chris Blackham going 5-0 and and winning using a paltry nine Eldar Flyers and, and uh, taking the victory. Uh, before we cut to a clip from Chris explaining uh, exactly how he managed to pull it off, we'll go over his list. Um, he ran a Cabal of the Black Heart Air Wing Detachment. Do you mind? Maybe, maybe, maybe I can take. Are you a, sure, a Val? I know I mean, that this one has fewer models, but it's you know maybe maybe I can handle okay. it. Okay, here we okay. go. I'm gonna I'm diving I'm in. It All right, you. so he had, he had an he had an Air Wing Detachment, which was Drukari, Cabal of the Black Heart with three Razor Wing Jet Fighters. Nothing fancy on those guys. Uh, he then had another Air Wing Detachment with. Uh, three Crimson Hunter Exarchs with two Star Cannons each, also a Hemlock Wraith Fighter, and a Nightwing. We're going to have to get into that one. Crystal Targeting Matrix, Twin Bright Lance, and Twin Shirkin Cannon on that. And then he did have a Battalion Detachment, which included an Autark Skyrunner um, with a Reaper Launcher, a Farseer Skyrunner, a and a Warlock Skyrunner, as well as uh, three troops, obviously, one uh, one unit of 20 Guardian Defenders with two uh, Heavy Weapons Platforms, a unit of five Rangers, and a unit of eight Storm Guardians um, with Chain Swords, and holy heck, we got another Flyer in the Battalion, a Nightwing, again, with the Crystal Tiny Matrix, Twin Bright Lance, and Twin Shirkin Cannon. Ooh. You did it, bud. You got through. How do you feel? You know, I feel I feel like it's very hard to read lists, and <laughs> I appreciate your skill. Um, so, shall we cut to that clip from Chris trying to walk us through his experience? This is Chris Blackham here. I've just recently played at the Carolina Crusade. I uh, sold my soul to Slanish. I played nine Eldar Flyers. Um, I had five great games with five amazing opponents. I played uh, some great guys. I played. Uh, John uh, with his knights. I played Thomas with his ultramarines. Alexis with her harlequins. Phil with his just amazingly painted uh, Imperium soup. And then uh, my new friend Andrew with his orcs. Uh, my MVP of the unit was Games Workshop's rules for Altatok. Um, without that rule, uh, there would be no stupid abuse. And yeah, it was a great time. And I look forward to the next one. Power and glory to Altatok. Altatok, for all your Eldar Flyer needs. Seriously, though, what's up with that Nightwing? Have you actually looked this thing yeah, up? Yeah, sure. So a Nightwing, is, uh, it's very similar to the Crimson Hunter Exarch, except it's uh, its only got a... Uh, a sorry, not the Exarch, the regular Crimson Hunter, just slightly better. So it's got the twin Bright Lance and the Crystal uh, Targeting Matrix. Uh, it allows it to ignore penalties to hit while it's flying. And, I mean, it's just another Eldar Flyer. So it's got your Vector Shift, and uh, so it's you know it can do the, the double pivot. And that's really what's most important about it, right, is it takes up all of the board it's got two strength eight ap minus four d6 damage shots and it's got those twin shirk that twin shuriken cannon so it can put out a, a little bit of damage on uh, on uh, chaff units as well so it's just another eldar flyer that's relatively well pointed you know he's been running variations of this list since prior to the lvo so i don't know who's actually going to be able to stop this madman other than maybe gw making some kind of modification to flyers but um 
Not to be outdone, we did have two undefeated players other than Chris. Uh, both were playing Tau. Brohammer buddies, Richard Siegler and Richard Martin, and they were running very similar list. Uh, the Siege was finally uh, was kind enough to give us his thoughts on his list and the event for itself. Uh, for reference, did you want to give uh, this Tau list to go, Val, or do you need me to step back in? So he's got an Outrider rider detachment, uh, Tau Empire. Uh, it's got an HQ, a commander, and an enforcer battle suit with an advanced targeting system and three cyclic ion blaster, accompanied by two shield drones. Uh, second HQ slot is Dark Strider. Um, he's got, in the fast attack, a Pathfinder team with uh, the drones. He's got the Pulse Accelerator, Grav Inhibitor, and Recon drone, and two shield drones, as well as four Pathfinders along with the Shazui. Um, and then he's got another Pathfinder team, which is the same thing again. Uh, in the uh, And then three units of tactical drones. It uh, looks like uh, two units of seven and one unit of eight shield drones. After that, he's got a Vanguard detachment. Um, it's got another HQ, Enforcer Battlesuit with ATS and three Cyclic Ion, as well as two shield drone. Uh, and this list goes with the Triple Riptide uh, with Advanced Targeting System and Target Lock, uh, rather than some of the other options you see out there. And then finally, a Supreme Command Attachment uh, with uh, three Cadre Fireblades, uh, another um, uh, Enforcer with the uh, Cyclic Ion, two Shield Drones, an Ethereal, uh, all rounded out to be 2,000 points. Looks pretty sweet to me. Yep. It's a, it's a very interesting list in that uh, compared to most Tau lists, um, it has very little CP. Um, I believe it tops out at six to start the game, uh, which, you know, not a whole lot when you uh, consider how uh, most Tau players play. Um, but it's been getting the job done. Uh, and uh, Richard's been performing very well with this list uh, and slight variations of it for a couple of months now. Um, I believe he did uh, manage to give us a couple clips about the list. Uh, do we happen to have those on hand? You believe uh, this is Richard talking about um, uh, one of his games as well as a little bit about his list. My most important game was game two against Austin's pioneering chaos list. Uh, Austin is one of the best players in the South, and his the new Slanesh Mirror is a nightmare matchup for Tao. Um, but I got a bit fortunate towards the end of the game and, and was able to snipe some of his key characters. What is special about my list? The Pathfinder drones are an unusual choice, but I use them for early game screening, uh, such as against Gallants and other fast-moving targets like Lord Discordance, um, and the Grav drone is a critical piece of my army against Genestar Colt and other assault-heavy armies. My most valuable player or MVP was the Cyclic Ion Commanders, um, mainly whenever I needed something to really die, the CIB commanders utterly destroyed them. Um, they have insane damage output and are extremely reliable. Uh, I would have to agree with him on Cyclic Ion commanders. Three Cyclic Ion commanders is a whole lot of um, accurate uh, firepower for Tau because they are hitting on twos and uh, have a good volume of fire on the Cyclic Ion. So I'd have to say I agree with you, sir. For sure, and they suffer very little penalty to overcharge them, uh, so it's it's definitely a, a really good pick. Um, one thing that a lot of people mention when they're talking about Richard's list is the sheer amount of two uh, 
like two drone units that he takes. Um, mm. You'll see it when if you go over the list either via uh, 40kstats.com or check BCP. Um, he's got you know 40 plus drones in this list, and the majority of them are one and two man units. Um, in talking to a couple of his teammates and in uh, listening to some of his talks on the list. Um, at first blush, you would think that he's going to give up Kilmore just constantly, but um, he's very cagey with how he play, how he picks plucks his drones when he's playing against different players, um, and will often uh, basically waste them all in one turn when he absolutely knows he's going to lose a Kilmore anyway. Um, and then in other rounds, he will pick just like one from every unit of two off the board instead of uh, of picking a unit and denying the kill if he thinks it's possible. So there's a lot of cagey play there with the, the sheer amount of drones that he's playing. Um, I do know that he helped uh, Richard Martin with his list and they're very similar uh, the placing of the drones is a little bit different but really the the main difference is that Martin uh, was using velocity trackers on his riptides uh, to help in the flyer matchup versus that target lock uh, for the riptides which makes them a, a lot more maneuverable on the board regardless of whether or not you bring the uh, the velocity tracker the biggest thing that's going to help this list is those cyclic ion uh, commanders against flyers uh, assuming they can get into range, I mean the limited range on 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 that, but you know that being able to hit on twos for for Tau is just a dream, uh, and rarely ever happens outside of the commander model. So um, I do like this. I, I've I've enjoyed seeing you know when when players embrace um, no command points, and uh, you can see that he's using a lot of the uh, inherent buffing abilities uh, of the Tau Codex, whether that be the marker lights. He's got very efficient marker lights and the Kydra fire blades as well as the um, you know Pathfinder units, but also all those little rules that the, the Pathfinder drones provide. Um, there's going to be other targets that people will be focused on uh, trying to kill, namely shield drones, and uh, maybe you get away with a few turns of you know having your recon drone do some fun stuff or your grab inhibitor drone uh, preventing some, uh, some uh, charges out of deep strike. Yeah, for sure. No, it's a, it's a, it's a very crafty list. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy Tau in general right now, other than playing as them or against them. But uh, from a meta perspective, um, it's no longer the same list over and over again that I'm seeing. There's all these new variants. There's Richard Siegler with all these drones and minimal command points. There's still the old uh, Triptide with broadsides and as many CP as they can generate outside of that. Um, and now there's all these mechanized lists coming out, um, like yeah. uh, Devon Swan and a few others playing uh, these, um, you know, multi-long strike lists or even going the realm of piranhas and people playing, you know, 8 to 12 piranhas with just a million seeker missiles. It's uh, like Richard was saying earlier about the meta. It's like it's it's definitely moving into a very interesting place uh, post-Castellan, post-Denari. Finally, we would be remiss if we didn't have uh, our, 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 our fan favorite, Austin Wingfield, on once again to extol the virtues of his Chaos Stroganoff list, which is now 23-3 and in majors and GT play. The Chaos list performed exceptionally well again. Um, I believe I'm 18-2 and now with it um, over the last couple weekends, so that's pretty solid. Uh, we lost this last weekend uh, to... Richard Siegler. Uh, he's one of the best Tau players in the game. I think he's fourth right now in the ITC rankings. Um, really close game. Um, talked myself into charging his Fortress of Tau turn one and um, shouldn't have declared what I did and was he was able to pick up a discordant turn one for free. Um, but really close game. Uh, the list does, does pretty well. I was able to trap some drones in combat with 
the epitome and keep me in that game, but was ended up losing in the end. Um, but can't say enough about how fun uh, the Discordance and Mortarian have been. Uh, Austin giving us another update about the Discordance uh, from the comfort of his Trans Am, ripping around down south of Mason-Dixon. We're now going to take you to the final event uh, that we're going to cover today, the Spellemannens Sommersnur. Um, it's a Swedish ETC team event that took place in Stockholm, Sweden. Only 22 players showed up, not quite a GT, not something we would normally cover, but um, the Google-translated Culture Compound Games Man Summer Spin um, was a veritable who's who of the area's finest players. Uh, LVO's top Necron player, Thomas Christensen, was there. Previous Westeros a multi-time major winner Andreas Berglund and the absolutely dominant Carl Abramson who's won I think three or four majors at this point uh, this year already um, the event was reportedly using a, used as a testing ground for ETC event lists hence why all the lists are, were kept off of BCP and I'm told that those who know what was played there have been sworn to secrecy on pain of being given only light American beers at future events uh, Carl Abramson was the eventual winner, going 5-0, and scoring four perfect 20-0 victories and a single 19-1 and using the forces of the hive mind. And I have it on really good authority that the majority of the final round results had to be thrown out uh, because the remaining players actually got too drunk to play. Um, so stay classy, Stockholm. A riveting tournament report from the edge of the world. I think that has gone and done it, Peter. I think we did it. That concludes our tournament coverage for the week. We done did it. So uh, you know what I realize we never really do is thank the people who take time out of their days to respond to my frantic messages and uh, join us on this show. Um, that actually is really important. So thank you, everyone who participated, all the players out there, the winners of this week. Congratulations. Uh, any, uh, any final things you'd like to say before we sign off? Hey, no, I just want to say thanks again to everybody that, that's tuning in and giving us the, the great feedback. Big thanks to like the people over at Best Coast Pairings for providing uh, this awesome tool that I can use to deep dive all this data um, and all the other event tools out there um, as we go through into the future. Australia's got a couple of big events coming up, um, as do does uh, the UK. Can't wait to be able to talk about them. And just to put you on the spot, what might we be looking at uh, next week as far as tournaments to cover? Well, I believe we're looking at about five to six GTs and majors next week. It's going to be another busy one. Um, I know that uh, a popular favorite amongst the Chapter Tactics crew is going to be the Throne of War GT because that's the first event that uh, the Chapter Tactics Patreon has paid to send uh, two of our lovely hosts to in Sean Morgan and Pablo Martinez. So they'll be on the spot to provide actual coverage. Hopefully we'll be able to get some good clips from them as well as the TO um, over in beautiful, sunny Hawaii. Um, yeah, it's going to be a very busy weekend for me getting the stats all together for the next week's episode, but uh, it's going to be a blast. Awesome. So uh, given it's a heavy week, we'll probably just be covering the top table uh, matchups and lists. So uh, we might limit uh, the coverage. So if you are on a top table next weekend, Please keep an eye out. We tend to reach out via Facebook Messenger or any other way that we can figure out to get a hold of you. If you're Frankie, you might even have us call you at work. So thanks for listening. Have yourselves a good day and or evening. Peter. Bye-bye. 
This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP.